Hey everyone, welcome back to the Two Stewards Show. Today we're talking a little bit more about young people in the real estate market. And we talked last time about uh, why a young person would want to own a home, um, but we kind of left uh, off where um, how exactly they could access the market, what are some strategies. So today we wanted to go in a little bit more detail on uh, the strategies that are out there um, to make home ownership possible and investing possible and what you can do in terms of renting your home out. So let's jump into it. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Two Stewards Show. Last episode, we talked about young people in the housing market, uh, how they can get in, some of the financial implications and how-tos, and we want to just talk a little bit about um, uh, what you do once you actually have the house and how you can make it work. So one of the, uh, and I'm here with Brent, by the way, from... Uh, Hello, everyone. <laughs> Hi, Brent. <laughs> Brent from Good Stewards. And yeah, we've got a few strategies um, that people probably should keep in mind. Uh, and, and not just once they've bought the house, but before they've bought it, you need to identify the correct um, the correct kind of uh, unit that you want to buy. And you talked about it last time, right? So some things to, to look out for. So condos, for example, because they really limit your your freedom to do what you want to do, limit the amount of control you have because uh, there's a condo association. You're going to be paying fees in addition to the, um, yeah, in addition to your regular mortgage payment, you got the maintenance fees, which, yeah, in a house, you can probably do that maintenance cheaper by yourself, um, depending on how handy you are. But yeah, we don't like condos, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's important to do the work up front to identify like, what is my strategy going to be once I have this place? Like, how am I actually going to pay for it? And I mean, you need to go through qualification tests at the bank as well, but even then sometimes it's kind of strained and you don't want to be living, you don't want to be house poor and making every last dollar that you have go towards your mortgage payment. So yeah, the idea is that if a young person's saving up to buy their first home, and they can, um, you know, they can, let's say they save up the money and they got the down payment or they got a gift and they somehow they finagle that together. And then they found the area they want to invest or whatever and they want to buy this home and uh, they qualify for the loan. They got all that figured out and they're ready to make the purchase. Like, what are some things to keep in mind now? <laughs> like, how am I going to actually pay for this mortgage uh, month to month? Um, how am I actually going to make this whole thing work? And is it worth it? Like before I jump in and actually execute on this whole thing, cause I want to buy a house. I know it's a good idea. Everyone says it is. Um, I want to get on the train of the real estate market before it gets away from me. And I've made all these sacrifices to get to this point, but like now what? <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a really good idea when you're, when you're doing all this thinking that to, to do some pro formas and especially when you're starting to look What's at a houses, pro forma? you know, it's a, it's a, it's a pro. Forma. So it means for, <laughs> I got a whole lack of, form of formas, but none the, of them are very pro. Yeah. A regular format or a pro format? No, I mean, I think it means for the sake of form in Latin, but basically it's just, um, it could be a spreadsheet. Uh, and it just, uh, yeah, you list out the financial, um, implications and values like everything that will go into that house right so you basically like a little balance sheet for a house right. so your costs that and, allows you to analyze like the income and the expenses yeah. and see whether or not you're going to have uh, positive cash flow at the end of the day or negative cash flow which yeah. you don't want 
Well, I mean, so in this case, we're talking about young people getting into their first home. So it's going to have negative cash flow. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, Robert Kiyosaki, I think, made the point that, you know, your personal home is not an asset. It's a liability. There's, You know, I, I kind of tend to agree with that. But there's ways to make it more of an asset. Or at least parts of it. An yeah, asset. or at least parts <laughs> of it, right? And that's... uh yeah, especially with living costs and everything else. else yeah, and I like the way Robert uh, Kiyosaki, he's the rich dad, poor dad guy. Um, so I like the way he kind of frames um, what is an asset, what is a liability. Like he says, an asset is something that puts money in your pocket every month. Yeah. It's just super simple definition, a little bit simplistic, but a liability, liability is something that takes money out of your pocket every month. Yeah. So if you own a home and it doesn't, put money in your pocket every month and actually cost you money, then yeah, he would determine that to be a liability. Um, so like you said, yeah, your primary residence or your first home might be a liability because you're gonna have to pay all these expenses. So yeah. anyways. Yeah, no, you're right. And like, you have to be comfortable with that, right? Cause there's, there's a value to having your own home and, and to your lifestyle and so forth. So, so for your first home, yeah, that's cool. But there's ways to make that, um, to lessen that liability Especially as uh, you know, first-time home buyer, young young folks. So we want to talk about some of those uh, some of those strategies. But you need to identify what strategy you're going to be using before you buy that place, so you get the right place. Because if you buy the wrong place, you won't be able to do what you're hoping to do. So some of those things could. Include- and these are the things you're going to do just to make it work. You mean like you're going to buy this house, and you got to yeah. come up with a strategy of. How am I going to pay for this? How am yep. I going to, what are the ways that I can um, generate income from the property or uh, whatever, just to be able to afford to own the house ongoing? Yeah, exactly. So if you're, <laughs> you know, if your strategy is to duplex a house, well, then clearly you're going to look for a house that you can duplex. And normally, you know, up, yeah, up, within up the in legal. our neck of the woods, that means it's got a basement. Right. Not every house in North America has a basement and you can still duplex them, but you know, you need a different, a uh, little bit of a different setup. So where we are, yeah, it would be like, okay, then you need a basement. And when yeah. we bought our first place, my wife and I, that was my only stipulation. I didn't care about anything else, how it looked or whatever, but it was like, it has to have a basement apartment that we can rent out. And I wasn't like in an investing frame of mind or interested in real estate as an investment, but I just kind of knew intuitively, like, we want to keep our costs down. Having a basement apartment that pays some rent is really going to, uh, really going to help us out. So that was an example of where, you know, that determined the kind of house that we bought and the kind of house that we even looked at, right? We just, we let our real estate agent know this is what we want and just take yeah. a lot of time in the process. So yeah. you need to, and yeah, you need to identify that and have a longer view as well. So last episode, you talked about um, accessory dwelling units, for example. And I love that that whole uh, portion that you talked about, you know, with land value and size of the lot and all that kind of thing, right? So if you think that in the future you might want to build an accessory dwelling unit, like intensify the the density of your property, um, then you need to look for something that has a little more property where you could actually build another unit or maybe two units or, you know, whatever it is that you're thinking of. Um, even if you're not thinking of it, having extra land in the city is always valuable because if you sell the like you don't have to do the work, but you could sell that house and sell that property to someone who will 
uh, densify it and yeah. build the accessory dwelling. So, unit. yeah, your comment with all of that is mainly that before you buy the house, you're mindful of this. Um, if that's going to be your strategy, um, you're going to look for that particular house. So maybe you can just give an idea of what are some of the strategies that work uh, today that are relevant for young people that are attainable. Because um, I think some strategies like, okay, Mark, I can't afford to build five <laughs> units on my property. I can't even afford to buy a house. Well, that's true, right? But like, so what could work? And what what what's maybe the stepping stones, right? Like, how do I get to that level? And Sure. There's, so there's a few things that I can think of. Um, maybe sort of in order from like easiest to hardest, right? So the easiest thing would be just to do room rentals where you live in one room. And like, so in this example, I'm just saying you're a young married couple buying your first home. So you live in one room. Uh, well, you live in the whole house, but you have a room that's yours. And then maybe you've got two other bedrooms that you rent out. Or it could be a scenario where you've bought the house with friends and you share the living space. Um, you got to be good friends. And if you're going to do something like that, a joint venture like that, you absolutely have to have a contract. I don't care how solid your friendship is. Have a contract that has very clearly defined um, exits. Yeah, exit clause. Yeah. So How do I get out of this? If it ever comes down to it, you, if you're fighting about one thing, this is something you don't have to fight about because it's clearly delineated. You know that, you know, either... I buy you out, you buy me out, we sell it, like whatever it is, get it in writing so that it's, uh, there's just, so that you know, and that can also forestall uh, some arguing as well because yeah, you know exactly what the outcome is going to be. And that's if you buy it together, right? Yes. We both put money in, we buy, we both go on title or whatever the case. Um, but you could use uh, room rentals kind of. Um, if you own it yourself, yep. you know, single guy or whatever, and you buy a house, um, yeah, you rent out a bunch of rooms and, you know, they don't have ownership. <clears throat> they're not paying into the more, uh, like they're not paying in as owners, but they're, they're just paying you rent to live there. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you could afford that scenario, that's better because you've got somebody else. We talked about that earlier, third party pay down, somebody else paying down your mortgage. Uh, well, you still retain 100% of the equity. Whereas if you're buying it with friends, um, that's 50-50. So, I mean, it, you do what you got to do, right, to get in. But mm-hmm. but that's one option. And as we look at sort of demographics in Canada, there are so many international students coming into uh, just into Canada, and they're going to be in the urban areas. So if you're in an urban area, there's lots of opportunity to do a room rental. And, you know, that... Not just the students, because obviously they're coming in, but the amount of immigrants is putting pressure on everybody in the rental market. So I've seen in our markets anyways, much more common uh, for room rentals and seeing a lot more ads for uh, for that, where it's just regular folks, but they can't afford even the full cost of rent because uh, maybe they got a minimum wage job. Um, so renting a, like a whole house is just out of uh, out of reach for them, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's one option is the, is the room rentals or buying with a friend. Another option would be a duplex and yeah, maybe I'll just kind of list these, right? So we got duplex, we have, um, multifamily. So that would be a triplex or a fourplex that's getting, you know, a little bit harder to do, uh, accessory dwelling unit we mentioned, uh, that's sort of a, probably a future thing. Once meaning, meaning equity. like a, a detached dwelling unit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that would be like maybe there's a garage on the property and you could convert that you know, with some work into uh, into a place for someone to live. Or maybe there's just there's enough room on the property where you could build a unit or two units or whatever in the back, like a laneway house, popular example as well. Um, another, uh, I guess sort of the final thing we'd be thinking about would be just buying somewhere else that's more affordable. And I've got a pretty good example of that as well. So, um, yeah, I guess duplex is the, um, is, is sort of the next one on the list, right? That's an option. And again, that's what we did. We bought a place with a basement apartment and right away we had an income stream to help cover the cost of the mortgage. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, what are your, so this is something you do a lot of, right? Is, uh, taking regular houses and, and making them into duplexes. I know you do other things, but that's yeah. like a pretty popular, um, popular option, right? So I don't know if you want to walk through sort of the, some of the processes around that. Yeah. So, um, so first of all, there's a, there's a certain type of house that works and is suitable for that. And that, um, like we talked about not buying condos, um, you know, not buying townhouse. Um, so the reasons, part of the reason why I just say not to, um, buy those particular things is because, um, it doesn't lend itself well to, um, duplexing, like adding units. <clears throat> so, um, the type of home that you look for when you're looking for something where you can add a basement dwelling unit, um, generally that's what it is, is, um, you know, uh, has a certain square footage in the basement. You don't want to have something that's too small. Um, then it's not worth putting in all the effort to add a kitchen and whatever. So you want like, you know, a decent number of square feet, uh, obviously you need ceiling height. Uh, you need egress windows and there's a whole list of, um, different things that you need. Right. Um, so when you're shopping around for a house, uh, it definitely pays to do the research and like before, before you actually buy. Um, but the strategy itself is um is <clears throat> i think it's probably one of the e like room room rentals is easy because you just buy a house turnkey um usually don't need it to be like uh, legally converted to anything it doesn't need to be uh, altered significantly maybe you just need to paint the walls and you can start renting rooms mm -hmm. out and you can share um, the common space and that works and that that's going to allow you to bring in some rent uh money and be able to pay the mortgage and the bills but uh duplex really allows you to have like uh, it's kind of the first way of allowing you to have like a, a third party um, in your home while um, while you live there. And then you kind of have two separate spaces um, and you can pay the bills that way. And then what, that way, like if somebody moves out, you can rent it to someone else and you don't really have to be friends. You don't have to share common um, spaces so much. So that, that option is attractive uh, for young people, especially because, um, yeah, you have to make sacrifices, but it's not like, you know, uh, for a young family, it's not like you have people living in your house, like mm -hmm. sharing common space. So, um, you know, if you're married and you have a kid or whatever, like you could very easily live in the basement. And I think a lot of people, there's this like stigma around living in basements generally, but you know, if you can make it work where you can rent out the main floor of your house and you can live in the basement, like it's, it just, it gets you so much further ahead. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's, it is a, a decrease in your standard of living in, in a sense, because, um, yeah, you probably, it's not going to be the greatest basement unit. Um, but it is, unless you, you built it. Yeah. Unless, <laughs> unless it's, uh, expensive, I guess. Um, <laughs> 
but the delta, like the difference in income that you would get on the main floor and versus the basement unit, like, um, you know, it could be four or five, 600 bucks, depending on what, what the size is. Right. So, um, yeah, I generally try to steer young people to, you know, sacrifice now, live in the basement while you can and while your family's small or while you have, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, maybe your lifestyle is not so geared around the home. It's more like, I got to go to work. I got to go here and there. And like, you know, um, live in the basement for a while and rent out the main floor. So that, that strategy works really well for that. Right. Yeah. Um, and you could, um, like looking at rents, you can probably won't cover the entire mortgage, but if you're renting out the main floor, you can cover like a hefty, hefty yeah. portion of it, which really frees up, um, a lot of resources, you know, yeah. month, month to month for you. Yeah. So this is what my wife and I did as well. When we, um, when we bought our first, uh, home that we wanted to live in. So we had an investment property already, um, operating for a couple of years while we were renting and that was rented up and down. But then when we bought our first, uh, home that we wanted to live in, we lived in the basement and it was, it was very <laughs> poor quality. <laughs> uh, like, well, we ended up trying to improve it, right. And, uh, make some renovations while we were lived there. And we actually went through the process to legalize it, to make it two legal units. But the whole time, like from the minute we moved in, we rented the main floor out right away. Um, I think we did some very minor things right away to kind of put laundry up there for uh, the tenant. Mm -hmm. uh, but we got it rented out. And, um, you know, the nice thing about that is like, yeah, he's paying for part of your bills or a significant portion, like you said. And now I have a bit of extra cash to buy two by fours to frame out my basement walls or whatever you need. Right. Um, so it, and it's, it's kind of redundancy, right? Like if you have a bad day at work, <laughs> you don't, you don't make the money you need to, um, maybe you lose your job. Like all these things happen, right. Or like something happens and you don't have the cash. Like at least you get a good chunk from the main floor for that can tie you over for a month or two. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it definitely, uh, it definitely helps set you on the right track as a young person, uh, getting started. Yeah, so I want to pick up on something you said there. Um, you said you bought your first place and you continued to rent. So you had the investment property. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming that was like a 20% down. It was, uh, yeah, we, we actually did, I think it was 7%. Like we just decided a number that we wanted to put down. But yeah, it was, it was as low. We could go as low as 5%. We put 7%, I think it was just oh, okay. a round so number. Using that first time home buyer's plan. Yeah. Right. But yeah. then you still lived somewhere else. Yeah. And, so um, I think I. I think I was living at home for the first little bit. Yeah. Because, yeah, I got married the following year. So it was like six months later we got married. But then we had a place lined up to rent. So, um, yeah, we tried to rent below our means. And uh, we got a very nice uh, place. But it was, uh, you know, through some connections that we had. We yeah. knew somebody and they said, oh, yeah, like, you can rent here. So the idea was that, like, yeah, we wanted this property. Um, we kind of never really intended to live in it. It was going to be an investment property. Um, but yeah, we had to live somewhere, so we had yeah. to find a place to rent. We just chose to rent in the cheapest, um, place we could find. And, uh, it was a bit of a drive, like it was an extra, whatever, 20 minutes drive, 30 minute drive to work. Yeah. Um, but it, it definitely, uh, uh financially set us off uh, on a better track. So. Yeah. So that's like, that is a great option too, right? Buying. And if you, you know, if the Delta between your rent and what it would cost you to live in the house and the rent that you're getting, um, you know, maybe, especially now, 
you know, where rents are, are headed. If mm-hmm. you bought a duplex, that could probably pay for your rent somewhere else. Yeah. So, you know, especially for younger, younger folks, you don't need all the space. Like well, that is an excellent option because now yeah. you're, you're getting the house paid for, you're getting your rent paid for, or at least a good portion of it, and you're building equity. Yeah, and the nice property. thing is, like, you know, where where this house was for us, like, I could drive by it every day on the way to work. You know, if something happened, I could go there, and then, you know, on the weekend or in spare time, like, if I wanted to fix the garden beds or do do whatever improvements, I could go there and, and, and work on my own house that I owned Yeah, um, that was a rental and improve the value. Um, so, yeah, it was it definitely worked out really well for us anyways yeah so yeah so that is a great option and that's um i, t- I talked about that sort of uh, further down the list but you know, we'll bring it up now right of, of buying uh somewhere you can afford so and, and you know in in this case that that was in the same uh, the same city or the same area for you but um i have a brother-in-law who was also looking at getting into the market and, and the area we're in was just just crazy and getting crazier and this was sort of leading up into the COVID times um, where it was just unattainable but they were able to buy in a different province and get their first home and then they rented it out so they still lived here they rented out that home um, and that worked out pretty well they had some family there to kind of keep an eye on on that house so that you know that went into that decision as well like we know we have somebody trusted who can kind of look after the place and uh, that was sort of how they, they got into the market. And then eventually they moved out there. They were able to do some renos, a little bit of equity growth. were able to move into a bigger property and then kind of repeat the process. Add a basement apartment, uh, rent that out. And um, like they just wouldn't have been able to do that in Hamilton, in, in the area that we're in, because uh, house prices. So, you know, that's... Again, what it, you know, I mentioned it last episode. We say that to young people, like just get in, and uh, that was their way to just get in. And yeah, it may not be exactly what you envisioned or what you were looking for, but uh, I think we're kind of everything we're talking about. There's a common theme of like, yeah, you're gonna have to sacrifice a little bit of yeah. what you were hoping for uh, initially. Right. Yeah, and you said so they moved to a different province, but did they know anybody there? Like, yeah, yeah. So then that that probably helps uh, with that decision. I think for people, you know, maybe they're living in Ontario and they want to, they maybe they look in Alberta and hey, I could buy a house there for a lot cheaper, but yeah. I, you know, I don't want to move there. Well, um, there are options to be able to buy things um, without actually having to move, right? Like the strategy of actually making an investment in a piece of property that someone else manages for you. Um, and then you can rent, uh, where you want to live, but a lot, try and find obviously a cheaper place or yeah. um, something, but at least you do own something. So that, that strategy works as well. And we've helped people out do that. Um, where, um, you know, people come to us all the time and say, you know, I have this much money and what can I afford? And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Like, you can't really afford anything in Southern Ontario because like the reality is, you know, if you want to buy a rental property, you got to put uh 20% down and um, that doesn't work. So, but for, uh, for people who want to still buy something and get in the market, like they can, they can go to, uh, you know, a different province, a different country, even uh, if you want to invest in the States and you can at least still buy something and um, you can start building equity. You can start paying down uh, a loan, and, um, yeah, live, 
live somewhere. You don't have to live in your investment essentially. Right. Um, so it doesn't really help with the aspect of like, you know, Hey, I want to on the weekend fix something up or I want to do some uh, improvements to my property. Uh, that doesn't really uh, happen when obviously you got to get on a plane <laughs> to fly your uh, building materials out to a different province. But, um, but it is a way to, to build equity. Right. And um, it, it could be a short term, I'll say short term, could be like a five or 10 year thing, right? Where we just buy mm-hmm. this thing, we sit on it for 10 years, uh, we rent here for 10 years and maybe we can sell it in 10 years and then we'll have a, a decent amount of money um, through the appreciation of that property to buy something where we actually want to live and settle down. So for someone in their like, you know, twenties, early twenties, mid twenties, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it could be a five to 10 year strategy, right. To, to get to, to home ownership where you want to be. Um, and that takes a lot of sacrifice, but it's doable. So yeah. And in this case, they, they ended up moving in there, but that was just kind of happenstance. That wasn't the plan. It was meant to be an investment property. Um, and then in terms of, you know, fixing the place up, yeah, you can't just fly down there on the weekend, but what they actually did was they went down there for a little while, initially and about the place and had a little bit of help from family, but, um, were able to work on the place and do not extensive rentals, but, uh, you know, a, a decent amount to where it immediately lifted the value of the property. And then they were able to fly back and, you know, you're talking about a week or two weeks. I yeah. Think. Um, so it is possible, right? If you're willing to put in some of that work yourself or, you know, you can have a contractor do it as well and kind of supervise from afar, but that's assuming you've got that, uh, that cash ready. And here we're talking about like where you can't afford where you are. So you may not do that, but the option for you to actually go, you know, you can go change out the flooring. You can paint some of these, um, uh, some of these things that are pretty easy to do but will uh, possibly raise the value. And even if you're not doing a lot of equity uh, increase, rental in value uh, can increase, right? As a place that's a little bit tired as opposed to a place with new flooring and new paint um, can be a, a pretty significant difference in rental value. So that's, uh, that, that is a good option, right? <laughs> and it, again, it gets them into the market and it gets them growing equity to where their money is now working for them instead of that, their money having, you know, them having to earn their money twice. Yeah. Mentioned in a, when we a talked previous episode. Yeah. It helps to have uh, a bit of grit too, right? To understand that, you know, Hey, I'm like young. Sandpaper? I, yeah. Uh, 80 grit. Yeah. Uh, 60 grit. I don't know. <laughs> grit as in like, you know, yeah. <laughs> get your hands dirty. Um, but yeah, it helps to have that kind of, uh, uh, energy, right? When you're young, uh, you can kind of take, you can take it, right? Like if something happens, like whatever, it, it's not going to make or break your life. You yeah. know, you can recover, you have a bit of time, um, hopefully a lot of time, but yeah, you can, um, you can make mistakes quicker. You can, um, you can put yourself out there more and, um, try things that you might not otherwise would have if you're, you know, more mature down the road when you have a family, depending upon more you. More to lose. Yeah, a lot more to lose. Um, so <clears throat> some of these strategies, like like when you mentioned room rentals off the top, like I wouldn't be interested in that where I am right now. No. Like, you know, wife and kids, you know, I want privacy. I want my own space. I, like the financial benefits of renting rooms in my house or whatever, or even if it was even a separate part of my house, but if it was like the basement, but it was still attached, I, like it still doesn't appeal to me. Nope. But that's because like, you know, I have 
a family, you know, we have, we we're past that kind of stage. Right. But we're like when you're young and you, you can get your hands dirty and you're yeah. Like grit, tenacity, you're trying to um, make things happen. Like, yeah, maybe you say it's for a year guys and then you're out, but yeah. you know, Hey, like enjoy that time uh, and, and make, uh, make it work for you, make it work for them. Like a lot of the times if you're renting a room, like it's, um, it's going to be affordable rent for the guy renting yeah. and it's going to move the needle for you as well. So, um, but yeah, there is, uh, there is, uh, benefits and drawbacks to everything, but that definitely, <laughs> um, gets you ahead. So, yeah. And, and that's why I mentioned <laughs> it specifically for young folks, because let's say, you know, I've already disparaged universities, but, uh, <laughs> You know, let's say did you go to university? Yeah, I did, actually. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but let's say you've just come back from school, right? We're, like, we're, who do students live with? Other people, yeah. right? So you're kind of used to that, and it's not a big transition to go from, like, living in res or living, you know, off uh, campus in a house that you share with a bunch of other students to living in a house that you own and living with a bunch of other students or just a bunch of other young folks whereas now yeah like i i, I could never um rent out rooms to people i drive i did i did that for a little <laughs> bit like shared a house with a bunch of other guys and like drove me crazy yeah so i can only imagine now that i'm older and more set in my ways that uh, that wouldn't work <laughs> but you said something earlier about um maybe it was a previous episode but where you know you might be that young person with the house, and instead of going out golfing or whatever with your buddies, you're working on the house. Like, hopefully, you've got a friend group that will that is in a similar situation, and you all help each other because I've seen that where people are doing even bigger rentals, but they've got you know enough friends who are sort of in the same situation that. It's like an Amish barn building, right? Yeah, that's right. pretty cool. <laughs> you know, you're going to help your buddy with his flooring or his reno or whatever, and you know that he's going to help you later when it's, when it's, <clears throat> excuse me, your turn. And I've even done that uh, yeah. um, now later in life where, yeah, there's a few people and we're all kind of in the, with the same, same mindset. So like, yep, come help me for a couple of Saturdays or whatever. And then when it's your turn, I'm going to come help you. And that works out um yeah, that works out pretty well. Yeah, I was just thinking actually like, you know, hey, if some young person wants to buy a house and they don't really know which house to buy or, you know, need advice, like, you know, Mark and I are here to help. We're curious, we're interested in um, where people are at and we want to help. Um, so, you know, we happy to kind of provide advice and guidance if, uh, if need be and like from based on our expertise and experience, um, if, if that's the right direction you should be going or make whatever, some advice. So hopefully the episode, like, you know, these last bunch of comments we've made is um, going to steer people in the right direction to begin with. But if there's specific questions, like feel free to reach out to the show or um, hit us up so that um, you can get those answered before you make the biggest financial decision of your life one way or the other for yeah, the better absolutely. or for the worse. I love nothing more than yelling at young people and telling them what they're doing wrong. So. Yeah, don't go to university. <laughs> what else? Good in the trades. Uh, get a piece of real estate. And, exactly. Uh, <laughs> just get a two by four and start beating you with it and uh, she help you make the right decisions. Oh, man. How old are your children? <laughs> And uh, and you also said something else too about you know when you're young you have more capacity or maybe, yeah capacity to absorb mistakes right what might really set you back later in life uh, may not be so bad earlier on in life and um, and that even applies to like 
you know, if you're painting your own place and you do a bad job, like that's practice, sort of. And and even the the example I gave earlier with uh, my brother-in-law, um, he had also helped me or helped us with you know our place rental properties. And, so he uh, made all the mistakes. On yeah, your house. And he, like and he said it too. Like, oh, it's <laughs> and your he place, flew so. to a different province and uh, yeah, the so beautiful results the, over there. Yeah, so like help other people out, get the practice, and. Uh, Hey, that's not a bad idea places. because, yeah, if, if if you're renting at your buddy's house and you can make all the mistakes on his house and what to do, then, yeah, when when it comes to your house, you'll have figured it all out. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully. <that's... laughs> so there's a couple other um, other things we got to talk about, too. And uh, just quickly, like we talked about duplex, but there's also the possibility, and I think it's harder uh, in Canada to do this than in the States, but triplex, fourplex. Uh, I think above four, you're getting into commercial financing, so that's uh, that's that's tougher. But if you're in sort of that little sweet spot, if you can swing it, talk to a mortgage agent. If you can get like a triplex or a place that you could convert into a triplex or even a fourplex, um, like there's even more opportunity there now to mm-hmm. to do better uh, with your money, right? To make essentially and, uh, have yourself like living rent that free. sounds unattainable but i think if you look on the outlying areas surrounding like the gta um as you go further away or like in, in um yeah i don't say rural but like yeah in smaller towns mm-hmm. um like you know some of these uh buildings they're probably more um set up for that and yeah you can definitely make the numbers work in terms of purchase price a lot easier there than in the city so yeah if it's, if it's your first home yeah like you said it's kind of hard in in this area to pick up something with three four units um but yeah if you start looking further and further out um and make the sacrifice with your commute or um even if you can own it and um, rent out all the units and rent somewhere else um, well or just you know go have an adventure and live in Sudbury or whatever yeah. right if you're young like <laughs> Now's the time to do it. Yeah. Right. When you've out. got, when you're more settled into a career or with kids in school and all that stuff, you don't want to be uprooting them. But, uh, you know, if you're early twenties and you can do it, like, why not go yeah. have fun? I mean, <laughs> responsible fun, but you know, go, uh, go do something a little bit, uh, a little crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think we kind of talked about most of the, the, the more common, um, types of housing that you can buy and, and what you can, you know, what you can do with them to, uh, to really help you pay the, uh, pay the rent, pay the mortgage. Um, and just to make it sustainable month to month so that you can, um, yeah, just get prepared for the future. Um, I want to talk though a little bit about the types of rent or the, the strategies that you can use. Cause we're on sort of different ends of that, right? You are, uh, pretty firmly into long-term rentals and we're pretty uh, firmly into short-term and mid-term rentals. So um, yeah, I don't know if you have any tips for uh, like when you're getting set up, if you're looking at a place, whether whether it's any of these ones that we talked about, uh, like a duplex, for example, um, getting ready for <coughs> long-term rent. Any tips around that? Yeah. So maybe some comments just around um, tenants in general. Like it, it is a big fear for a lot of people. Like, oh, you know, I got, I got this house. I finally saved up and I bought this thing and I got like, it's a big investment, right? And now all of a sudden I got a, 
um, you know, rent it out to people that I don't know. Or so on that note, I would probably um, say like renting to somebody that you do know, especially if it's like a room rental or like something where they're sharing common areas with you. And um, that's, that's going to be uh, um, probably the best approach. Someone that, you know, family, friends, church members, um, that's, uh, that's almost a no brainer. But um, if it's, if it's a legal unit, and your basement or your main floor and you're living in the basement um, or the main floor, the other unit, um, you probably uh, are going to be advertising this unit and you're probably going to be getting applications from people. So it takes a bit of work to figure out how to do that. And like for myself, I think the first time I ever did it, I used the, um, the agent who helped me buy the house so it just so happened that the, when we bought the house, they actually had a call from a guy who was moving. He was in the RCMP or something, and he was moving for work to the area, and he wanted a place. And they, they kind of lined it up so that when I bought the house, he was ready to move in. And and it worked out quite well. Um, but then I had to fill the basement after that um, separate separate unit. So, um, so yeah, it, like there's different uh, approaches in terms of getting someone to rent your space. But um, yeah, there's, and there's a lot to be mindful of and to, <laughs> like, cause with Airbnb, I understand like there's, there's probably some checks and balances, but with uh, long-term rentals, we're gov- like, once you have a tenant, you're kind of governed by the landlord tenant board. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a little bit different if it's your primary residence, because if you live there, um, like, yeah, I guess you could take over the whole house and, um, you gotta and, prove that you really yeah, and prove, improve. So if, if you, if you have like, um, the, uh, if you're going to be living in the space and you can justify and prove that you're going to be doing that, then you can kick them out. But, uh, generally speaking, if it's a separate space and, um, you know, you want to get someone out, uh, it, it's a little bit more challenging. So obviously you want to be, uh, proactive on the front and to try and find the right people and go about the process the right way. So, um, at our company, like at good stewards, we have, um, a quite an extensive like marketing, um, and tenant screening process that we've kind of developed over the years. Um, and it, it works quite well for what we want to, like who we're trying to attract and what we're trying to do. Um, but for the average person, like, um, you know, the, the, the big thing is, um, like, who are you trying to attract to this space, right? Um, is it going to be somebody who wants, like, would you live in that space, first of all? Like, because I've seen units where people own the house, they live there or whatever, and they're like, I would never live in this unit. I'm like, well, <laughs> do you expect any tenant <laughs> to ever want to live in this unit and, and pay you money to live here, right? So, uh, so first of all, like, you want to make your unit attractive to the right kind of clientele, right? Who, Who, if they stay there for a significant period of time, you would be content with that. Um, and then, you know, obviously, um, we're all governed by the the same in here in Ontario. Anyways, we're governed by the, like the same land, uh, the lease agreement, standard lease agreement. So, um, you can find that online and, um, we can even probably put a link to it. Um, but yeah, that, that's standard for everybody. Um, and you just fill it out with, uh, your information, but, um, uh, in between, um, advertising and signing the lease, obviously there's a lot of due diligence you have to do. So, um, there's different methods of uh, processing tenants, and I don't know what the process is in short term, but in long term, um, you can you can do it yourself. Like you can actually call references, you can do credit checks, um, you can have a form, and people fill out and give you all their information. And there's certain information you can't ask for. 
um, for privacy, but there's a lot that you can get and you mm -hmm. can get a good picture of people's financial situation, um, what, what they spend their money on and, and would they be a good, good tenant to pay the rent. Um, but then, uh, it can even do a criminal background check and all these different things. Uh, but there's also services like online services. Um, I don't even know off the top of my head, Nick Neighborly and uh, yeah, single key, single key, and different different kind of um, tenant screening services. So you pay a fee, and then you can have uh, them screen the tenant for you. Yeah. Um, so that works if you're not familiar with the whole process. Um, so yes. yeah, that's a couple pieces of advice there, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, we could. Pro I think, and maybe we should do uh, another episode just on tenant screening. Yeah. Because. Uh, yeah, there's a. You said it's something you do, you've developed over the years, right? So it's not something. You yeah, just, well, we've boom. made mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because there's different layers, and maybe yeah, we'll talk about that in a different episode. But there's different layers to screening. There's the uh, like the initial kind of sniff test side, where like you're not actually getting an application, but you're you're judging like I don't say you judge someone's character, but yeah, you definitely. Um, get a first impression, right? And yeah. when you meet them at the home and uh, the level of respect they have for you and stuff, you can right away get a sense. And oftentimes what it is is gleaning information about whether or not, um, and uh, gleaning information about them and then checking that against and referencing it against information that they uh, write down in an application or they submit later on. Yeah. Say, hey, do these line up and is this person telling the truth? Um so yeah, anyways, we'll we'll talk about that. But so that's kind of in a nutshell, like the, the tenant screening process for a young person who wants to get into a long term rental, um, just to consider. So maybe I don't know. You want to talk about short term and how that differs and what um, what people can do. What are their options in that? Realm? Yeah, for sure. And like I will just say on the on the long term side, like there's a lot that goes into it, and maybe you want to get some help, whether that's from like a professional property manager. Or a service like Single Key, um, I myself am not a fan of using realtors to find tenants because uh, I don't know. Their incentive is to find a tenant. Their incentive yeah. is not to find the best tenant, or yeah, generally and speaking, exactly. Right? And, like and unless they're working with you ongoing year over year, yeah, like yeah. And it's not really their expertise <laughs> either, right? They're selling homes, so I, I don't want to. You know, I know some great realtors, but. Um, personally, I would not recommend using them for tenant placement, but yeah, professional property manager, there are people who will just do tenant placements for you and they'll charge a fee, but that's all they do. And that's, you know, if you're a little intimidated by the whole process, uh, I recommend doing it yourself, but if you don't want to, there's options. Yeah. We do fill tenants, uh, fill units for people from time to time, but we generally, uh, we, we like to stick with units that are for our investors that we've worked yeah. on that. Um, just, yeah, for the reason that like, you know, uh, we know the clientele we're trying to attract and, um, yeah, it can be a real headache to try and fill units that are not necessarily, um, the same quality and, um, yeah. So, yeah, no, it's true. And, and you like also like it's the same for short-term rentals. You need to identify ahead of time before you even have the place, like, who do I want to rent to? And then you have to build or make sure or buy a place that is suited towards that ideal tenant or uh, or, or, or guest in the case of short-term. So rentals. like I'm just thinking a young person's going to buy a house and then let's say they're going to live in the basement and they want Airbnb or like short-term rental, the main floor. Yeah. Right away they have to think about what am I going to do with this main floor? <laughs> like who yeah. who's going to rent that? Well, even 
before they've bought the house, like if they know we want to do short-term rentals, then you got to figure out like, okay, number one, you know, so for young folks, they're probably more limited geographically, right? Investors, uh, more seasoned investors, you need to identify markets that are going to work. But if you're, you know, if you're, this is your first place, you're not buying somewhere else. You're buying where you live, kind of, or you're going to be in a place um, that is, you know, generally constrained by like where you work and where family is and stuff. So then you need to do the research to make sure that A, is this a suitable market for short term rentals? Um, do I have the ability to have a short term rental? Uh, just in terms of legislation and regulations by the city. And generally, if you have uh, if your primary residence, in most places, even where there is red legislation in place, you're okay to do that. And that can be in your favor. So in Hamilton, for example, they've passed legislation that says um, it can only be a primary residence. So that could be a tenant renting out part of their place, but it could also be an owner as long as you live there. You can rent out uh, part of your place or an accessory dwelling unit, and that's actually beneficial for people who are doing this kind of house hacking because um, it limits the amount of of competitors, right? Providing yeah, totally. that everybody actually abides by those rules. But uh, we have seen, like, even already, a lot of uh, investors get out of the short term market in Hamilton. Yeah, selling um, off furniture. And- yeah, yeah, <laughs> selling their houses. All this stuff, or converting to a different kind of uh, type of uh, rental. But um, yeah, I mean, with long term rentals, you know, generally if you've got a, an area that has rentals and <laughs> people who need to live somewhere, you know, you're going to be okay to, uh, to, to get the place rented out. And, you know, you got to figure out like, is this uh, strictly a university town or is it a place that's a little more diverse? Then I can have my pick of, um, of renters a little bit more like once they apply right and what's that rental market like but yeah with short-term rentals you really need to identify the avatar because uh, and when i say avatar that's your ideal guest um because that's typically what you're going to specialize in yeah you don't i feel like be, that's uh like the common is hospitality right like yes. you're in the hospitality industry now you're um, whereas rental, like you said, as long as there's people, <laughs> you know, like people need a place to live. Yep. So long-term rental, like as long as there's population trends that are in your favor and there's, uh, you know, uh, excess demand for housing, which there is in this area, um, you're going to have tenants. But in, in your case, like you're appealing to a certain kind of guest or audience that, um, you have to be hospitable to them. You have to show them that mm-hmm. like this is an experience or this is a, uh, the reason why you want to stay here because um, they're not going to be living there for their life, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's So in the case of long-term rentals, the tenants need you. Yeah. In the case of short-term rentals, you need the guests. Yeah. So, so you have to appeal flipped. to them. Yeah. Yeah. So there's more marketing. There's more a lot more thought that goes into it. So you need to figure out the kind of uh, guests that is going to work in that area and that you want to specialize in. And especially if you, you know, end up getting more short-term rentals, it's always best to have, to specialize in a a subset, whether it's families or it's people traveling for work or whatever it is, you know, you can get other people into your places, but you really want to specialize in a, uh, a, an ideal guest, and then you tailor your place or your places towards them. And again, if other different types of people rent, that's fine, no problem. 
but <clears throat> you want to do the best job you can for the ideally the people who are going to pay the most amount of money in that uh, in that market. Yeah, so I'm thinking it through the lens of a young person who might have might bought their first home and they want to rent it out. Like a long term strategy would like a long term rental strategy would be kind of just you know it it's dependable. You know, you got a tenant. He's going to come. He's going to pay his rent. He's going to be there for over many years. Um, you know, maybe eventually you take over the whole house and you call it your own, or you move out and you rent the other unit out long term. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a good strategy. But with uh, like with short term rentals, one of the advantages could be that like if you are home, quite frequently you can manage a lot more. Mm-hmm. So you could take on the cleaning. Um, you could kind of earn those fees, so to speak. Right. And, and, yep. and it can be a little bit more lucrative, um, if you're in the right area, if you do all the right things, uh, Mark says, you know, listen to Mark's wisdom, <laughs> <laughs> um, call him up, give him a pick his brain. Um, but yeah, if you do that, um, the benefits are kind of all yours too, right? Cause yeah, you're yeah. on site all the time. You can, um, yeah, you can maintain the place, keep it up and, um, yeah. Yeah. And it, it can be can be pretty lucrative like yeah. for a, a lot of the time with just a little one bedroom uh basement apartment we actually paid our mortgage <coughs> for the whole house with just that little thing which you can't do in the long-term rental side yeah now it's more work absolutely yeah and it's you know you have to be okay with sharing your house with other people even if they're not living like you know it's a separate unit but they're still they're in and out right and you'll you'll see them they're around yeah. So it helps to have the mindset of, of being hospitable or, you know, meeting strangers and so forth. Um, that, that certainly helps if you're going to pursue that kind of strategy, right? Yeah. Now there, there's another strategy as well, which is midterm. And, you know, that's a, that's a whole sort of different subset of people that are, um, that you're renting to. And that's, you know, that's a 30 day or longer stay. So it could be a month. It could be six months. Um, so again, that's a whole different type of, uh, person that you're marketing to and you really need to sort of figure that out. And you can sometimes do a hybrid model, but you need to make sure your place, your space works for that, where maybe in the, the busy times. So let's say here it would be the summer, right? You're going to do short-term rentals because you're going to get premium room rates. There's events happening. There's people actually coming to visit. Right. And then in the winter, the the off season, you kind of. Get somebody renovating their house and they need a place to live for exactly. six months. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So the um, another, I guess, advantage to Airbnb, and then if you live there yourself, um, could be you know you have family coming down, you need a place to crash. Like we gotta we just block off those days, right? Yeah. And so like it is your own home and it's furnished with presumably your own furniture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um you can use the space at will or you can rent it out at will and if you're on a short term strategy um like that that opens up opportunities to kind of enjoy the space while you're also making money off of it. Yeah. On on the other days when you don't need it, right? Yeah. Much Whereas long term like it's kind of set it and forget it, right? Long term is like I got the person that I want. I'm like we have a happy good relationship. We have a thing going on. Um we just set it and forget it and um yeah with with short term like it is a lot more involved and active so yeah and long term is typically you know when people talk about passive income or passive and it's never totally passive but is much more passive than short term yeah it's like active involvement in your um, yeah so then the next step i guess is like the guy's got the house 
he's got it rented out. He's got, he picked his strategy. He made the decision. He bought the house. Um, and now, um, what, what's the next step? Like he's, uh, um, I guess this is where we get into the Burr acronym where that's a pretty common term, but, um, buy, uh, renovate, rent, refinance. You get to the last part, right? Where, um, you know, say a young person have gone through all the steps. Now, what do they do to move to the next? Like, what's the next stepping stone? I think that would be to like, um, as, as you pay down equity to access that equity to, to make your next move. And, um, uh, that's something to consider as a young person when you're getting into this is that, um, you know, as your tenants and yourself together are paying down your mortgage, um, obviously that, that goes in your pocket, <clears throat> the principal portion of it. Um, the home value, uh, likely over time will be rising. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we talk about that a lot with the monetary, uh, inflation aspect of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then um, for various reasons, the home values will go up over time. Um, and then you get some of the tax benefits of that as well, because if you have, um, if even if you live in portion of the home you can st- and you're renting out portion of it, you can still have tax benefits from, mm-hmm. from that. Um, so then at a certain point, uh, you can access that equity. Um, and so if you put 5% down, it might take longer to get up to a, a percentage that makes sense to like start pulling money back out yeah um because yeah usually on a refinance the bank's only going to give you up to 20 percent that's right uh, or you're going to have to maintain eight yeah they'll give you 80 percent of the value of the home so if you bought it let's say for 500 it went to like 800 they'll give you 80 percent of 800 um but let's say you put five percent down at 500 like you know you got a ways to go to to get back yeah um in the black so um, but what are you going to do with that money? Right. And that, um, that's the next stepping stone, I guess, for people to consider before they jump into all this is, um, you know, can I use that money to renovate to get to the next step? Like maybe you want to just rent rooms out for the first two years and then you're going to refinance and then you're going to turn it into a legal duplex, triplex, whatever. Um, maybe you're going to turn it into a legal duplex right away while you live there in the basement and figure it out. Um, and you're going through these stepping stones, you're saving up and then in three, four, five years, you can refinance and you'll have enough equity to be able to put a backyard suite in or to maybe you can use that to buy a different property. Right. So, Mm. um, keeping like, once you get into that track, like all kinds of options open up and that's part of the reason why I I don't like (laughs) condos or (laughs) things like that, because like, you know, Hey, you can't you can't do some of these opportunities. Like it, basically your option is sell. Yeah. Um, like you can refinance and buy something else if you really like where you're living. But um, yeah. So, it's, so definitely think about that. And I think like a lot of people are focused on, you know, what am I going to do tomorrow? What am I going to do next year? But like, they're not thinking five years, 10 years, yeah. 15, 20, 30. Like, I, I, I think my problem is I think long-term too much. Um, uh, I don't think about the here and now as much, but no, that's not your only problem. Ben. Yeah. <laughs> One of my big problems. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, like if you have a shorter term mindset, you, you kind of neglect it. And like time happens so fast, like 10 years goes by. And if you don't have a house versus having a house, and if you have a house, but you don't have tenants in it, 
like versus you do like the financial uh implications of whatever track you set for yourself are huge so thinking about the exit strategy so to speak like on your starter home on something that you buy the first one that you pick um making a wise decision and then uh, understanding how am i going to get out of this like am i going to live here forever am i going to want to live here forever like what do i want to do after this like uh, and and set yourself up for uh, an exit strategy that makes sense and uh, that's especially relevant if you're partnering with somebody right like if you have like yeah. you mentioned it earlier having an exit clause having a contract but yeah if you're going in financially with another person um clearly define where you're going to get out of this and what that's going to look like and um, where you are going to be financially at the end of that deal and that process. Right. Yeah. So all kinds of crazy things to think about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so there's two things just before we wrap up um, about burrs that I want to mention. So the one R you didn't mention was repeat. That's right. the last R okay. of there's uh, so many R's, many R's there. I always miss one. You only got three written down it's here. Like, uh, <laughs> it's like pirates. There's a lot of R's. <laughs> is your dad yeah. joke for the day. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that the last R is repeat, right? You can do this whole process. You renovate, you rent, you refinance, and then you do it again. And yeah. that is the beauty of this model where you can turn that one house into multiple houses. Right. Uh, it's the repeat. And we've like it's a proven strategy. We've seen people do it. I've done it. I think you've done it where you take that first property and you don't have additional capital, but you build it up in the property over time and use that to get another one. Yeah. So even for people who aren't interested in that, like who just want a property. Yeah. Um, it's like even if you're not going to repeat and get another property, like at least you have options. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um it, not everybody's going to want to just grow a big real estate portfolio, but yeah, people, people might uh, look at it and say, oh, like, I don't even want to start. Well, mm-hmm. if you, if you do, then, um, you know, now you have op- like whatever, you could have a hundred thousand dollars that you could start your own business. Right. Like, yeah. um, so yeah. Uh, yeah. And I get it. Not everybody wants to be like a real estate magnet with a huge portfolio, but just imagine if you're a young folk, uh, a young folk. I'm going to go with that. If you're a young folk, um, young buck, you know, imagine what retirement would look like if you had three or four properties, right? Doesn't have to be huge. That's something you can manage yourself. But if you were in, it's, it's, it's totally possible just using equity from your first home, right? And I find usually when people, um, when they go, you know, they don't just stop at like two properties or whatever, right? Then they kind of realize like, oh, wow, I'm building wealth and maybe I don't have to work at this t4 job until retirement because i can use you know use this to help me and if you're uncomfortable like my wife thought i was crazy for suggesting a refinance on our first home um if you you know people want to have their first home paid off a lot of time you can use the income from your other properties to start paying back uh the you know what you've taken out of that first home um and then the other thing i wanted to mention uh was tax implications Right. Cause you said like, you know, you do that first home, do it up, fix it up. You know, then what do you do? You can sell it or you can refinance. So if you sell it, you're in Canada anyways, you're paying capital gains. Unless you live there. 
Yeah, unless you unless you live there and you're moving to a bigger home, but eventually you're going to get sick of uh, house hacking in every home that you live in, unless you have a high tolerance for that sort of thing. Right? <laughs> yeah, and this is what I love about the states where they've got that 1031 exchange where yeah. with investment properties, as long as you roll it back into another investment property, you don't pay any. Yeah, I think we're going to be doing a remote podcast when you move to the states. So it sounds like you're going there. <laughs> <laughs> it's really yeah. Real estate is uh, yeah is, is much more favorable there. But um, I just want to point out on a refinance, right? As long as you're using in Canada, as long as you're using that money to buy another property, you're not paying taxes, right? There's that's it's tax exempt. So if you use it for personal stuff, yeah, then technically you you should be paying taxes on that. But if you're putting it into another business um, investment, so this could be like your second property, you refinance it, put it into another one. You don't pay any tax on that. So you get to keep the asset. You get to use a substantial amount of the equity uh, growth that is in there to get another place. But you don't have to sell it. You don't have to get rid of it to get the next one. And that's yeah. the beauty of the Burr method. It's like that the, repeat. The goose and keep the doing it. golden eggs, right? You don't have to kill the goose that keeps giving you the golden eggs. You can, yeah. Yeah. No, well, maybe let's wrap it up there. And yes, uh, I think we got a couple more episodes uh, out of this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thanks again for listening. This is uh, our little mini series on trying to help young people uh, learn about uh, accessing the real estate market, uh, what are their options and what they can do. So hopefully you glean something from that. Until next time, steward your wealth wisely. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Two Stewards Show. If you like my voice better, click subscribe. And if you like my voice better, click share. If you like both, give us a five-star rating. To interact with the show, feel free to reach out at hello at twostewards.ca. We'll see you in the next episode. In the meantime, steward your wealth wisely.